it did get down to 40 below, but it, that was a cold snap. You know, a typical day was more like 20 below. That's my older brother, Mark Peterson, talking about when we lived in Alaska. A lot of the subdivisions, like the one we lived in, had an airstrip, which in Alaska is very common. I was only four when we left Alaska, so now all of the memories of that place are just surreal and weird. We lived in a house in a subdivision, but it was surrounded by trees and it looked like you were in the forest and moose would come out and knock our clothesline over. Another odd thing was that our landlord for that house would one day appear on PBS telling people there were no mistakes, just happy accidents. I've even done a podcast episode about that. It's honestly hard to tell what was just stuff that little kids think or imagine and what really happened. Here's another example of one of those memories of us picking up my brother from a radio station where he worked. I feel like I remember being in a car with mom. Maybe we were supposed to pick you up or something. I don't remember seeing grass on a roof. It seemed to me like it looked more like a trapper's cabin than a radio station. You would think that's something I dreamed, right? You know, the radio television station, they would have grass and flowers and stuff on the roof. Well, apparently not. A lot of structures in that part of Alaska had grass growing on their roofs because they had used dirt or sod even as a form of insulation on their rooftops. So to a little kid, it just looks like grass is growing on the building. The station where my brother worked was called KJNP, which stands for King Jesus North Pole. Uh, King Jesus North Pole. But having a lawn on your roof was far from the most unusual thing about KJNP. There was more than just the radio station. It was kind of, it was a compound. There was about 10 acres. Generally, when you're looking for a job, if they say they have a compound or just use that word in general speech, you probably shouldn't work there, let alone if this compound is out in the woods and has other strange features like residential dorms for people that were there and, and they had animals and chickens and some, a cow or two because they tried to be self-sufficient. On this first ever Christmas episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day, in which we interview everyday people about things that don't normally happen every day, we go to Fairbanks, Alaska, where my brother tells us about one of his first jobs, working out in the woods at a place fond of Christian fellowship, summer solstices, and trying to butcher their own food without always knowing exactly how to. Mark takes us back to his teenage years in the early 1980s. Before I lived in Alaska, I was a paper boy for about two years, and they didn't have paper routes in Alaska, so I didn't have a job. I really wanted a job, loved radio, and here was a radio station less than a half a mile from my house. The man who started KJMP was a man by the name of Don Nelson. He was a uh, a tail gunner during World War II. He wasn't very religious, if I remember right. He got captured for a brief period of time in Germany and was a POW, not, not for very long, fortunately. It was towards the end of the war. And he found Christ, I guess, when he was a POW, and he dedicated the rest of his life to spreading the gospel. He was very charismatic and talked continually. He was about five foot five and never held still. And, you know, every other word was praise the Lord. He said that all the time. Praise the Lord. Almost every sentence. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Years after this, I remember my dad saying he'd went with Mark to meet Don Nelson when Mark was interested in working there. And dad confirmed that Don said praise the Lord a lot, too. Now is also the time to point out that my dad didn't want my brother or I to play football because he was worried we would get hurt. But apparently letting your 14-year-old son hang out with a bunch of religious people on their compound 
out in the woods was totally cool. As an adult, I sit there and I look at that. How did they manage to do that? Build a radio and a television station, get a license. It's just amazing that he was able to do what he did with, you know, they weren't wealthy. I think the answer to Mark's question might lie in part with why they let a 14-year-old work at a radio station. They were a volunteer Christian mission organization. So in a way, they're always hiring because they don't pay. I guess we'd call it do missionary work for them because that's how they thought of it. I thought of it more of doing radio work. In a time well after David Koresh and the abuse scandals faced by a lot of churches, I think perhaps we're maybe all a little more jaded and on guard about churches and their intentions, unfortunately. I know you're thinking that maybe my brother got hurt or exploited by this group under the false promise of getting to learn the art of radio, but that's not what happened. You know, I learned how to run the radio board, announce, run programs and records and various things. Uh, learned how to use the AP wire and get the news off that. In fact, I can distinctly remember a different time when I was in that car that we had driven up to the radio station in. And my sister said, Mark's on the radio. He actually got to be on the radio fairly often. To be fair, though, he didn't get to be on it all the time. They had other things that he helped out with there. I was there eight hours a day, and I was on the board for about four hours. But the other times I was doing stuff like, you know, organizing shells, moving equipment around. Mark sometimes also got tasked with preparing meals for all of the missionaries living in the dorms, as well as how to clean up and do the dishes after. What was the food like that they fed them there? It was mostly we'd have stew and soup and maybe spaghetti, uh, that type of stuff. And then sometimes they would have... uh, a wild Alaskan meat like moose or salmon or something. It was okay. One of the coolest things KJNP did that was actually a valuable service to the community was a program and sometimes just an intermittent announcement called Trapline Chatter. Back then, a lot of people lived out in the uh, what they called the bush. In the summertime, a lot of people worked out on the gold mines, and they didn't have television. I don't even think they had electricity, but they would have radios that were battery-powered, and so our job, one thing that we did, they called it trap line chatter, is we get message from like the uh, police uh, that somebody needed to come in because they had a relative die or there was another situation in town. And we would say, this is for Joe, who lives on the China River out by wherever. We need you to come into town and please contact the Alaska State Troopers. And we couldn't say what the situation was because sometimes it was they, they were wanted. <laughs> we need you to come in and and stop by the Alaska State Troopers and and check up on an urgent matter. I have to wonder how many people who lived out in the bush who got one of these notices actually came into town, especially if they knew they had done something sketchy recently. Uh, And so that was interesting. And that uh, trapline chatter, I think we did that every day, or we did it when, you know, if there was something that was real urgent, like somebody needed to know that their loved one was in a car wreck or something like that. KJNP also covered political events and meetings, high school sports, and... And we broadcast what were called the North Pole Knicks. The North Pole Knicks were a minor league baseball team that just seemed to be another part of the randomness that we experienced up there. People that later on became major leaguers like Mark Grace, who played for the Cubs for a long time, and uh, Todd Zeal, who played for the Cardinals, they were on the North Pole Knicks. They became big leaguers, but I got I to gotta interact with them almost on a daily basis. I recognize that some of this stuff sounds, if not just really odd and random, perhaps like we're lying. 
all of this stuff really is true, and random weirdness seemed to do just really well up in Alaska. Take, for example, the reason why the North Pole Nicks were called the Nicks in the first place. North Pole, essentially what it is, is the suburb of Fairbanks, Alaska. And they called it North Pole because the idea was is that as they developed these subdivisions, the the uh, founders of the town thought, oh, you know, we could probably uh, benefit from uh, opening a toy factory here and attracting tourists. As you may remember, there's a very large Santa Claus house there that in the summertime was just choked with tour buses. Uh, the other thing I know they've added in the last few years, I saw they have a reindeer herd out back. So people go back and pet, pet the reindeer. So in keeping with the Santa Claus theme, the North Pole Nicks were named after St. Nick. Did you remember anything about a big darn statue of Santa outside and one time his arm fell off because it froze or something? Does anything like that sound familiar? Yeah, they built that, you know, I think about 1983. It wasn't there when we first lived there. And yeah, the first year its arm came off and I think it just collapsed because of the snowfall. Do you know how confusing it is to be three or four years old living in a place called North Pole and have Santa's house literally a short car ride away? let alone seeing him without an arm. I don't want to tell you how old I was before I actually realized that we didn't really live at the North Pole and that I had fallen for a manufactured reality that was designed to bring in tourists. In fact, where we lived was at least 1,700 miles south of the real North Pole. I think you can understand why I don't trust all of my childhood memories, and I'm now running them by my older brother, who was a lot older than me. What makes my childhood memories even more difficult was that, well, in many cases they were coupled with real things that were strange and unusual. And here are some more stories from my brother's time at KJNP to prove that. One of the things that I remember the most is over the 4th of July weekend, we butchered a cow you know, so they could have meat for the remainder of the year. It's important to remember that those dorms Mark mentioned were full of kids, usually from the lower 48. They were better at being missionaries than butchers. And being that none of them were really farmers or ranchers, you know, they were mostly like 20-year-old kids who came mostly from like Chicago and Minneapolis. So they didn't know how to butcher a cow. So I remember they, we took the 22 up to the cow's head and they missed the first time. They missed. I don't know how you do that. And the cow started going crazy. I went and hid behind the barn door because I was afraid they were going to miss again. And who knows where the bullet would go. And then they they cut up the cow, and they took a chainsaw and cut the thing in half, and there was meat flying everywhere. Uh, and it was a very gruesome affair. And, and, and then afterwards, what they did, you know, like I said, they didn't know what they were doing. They We took out the, the insides of the guts and put them on a sleigh and put them on a, a, on a, a tractor and kind of just drug them out in the field over by the towers, you know, they had a big, like, kind of a football field with these big towers. It was a semi kind of a rural subdivision. And what ended up happening is the neighborhood dogs got into it and started dragging these guts all over the, the, the people's, the neighborhood yard. And so everybody was upset with them for, you know, getting the cow guts all over. They generally had good relationships with the neighbors, but that was not good. <laughs> you know, having a piece of the cow stomach on your front yard is really not a way to, to win influence over your neighbors. So it was interesting to see a butcher done by people who didn't know what they were doing. And it was a very messy affair, but they got their meat for the rest of the year. You know, it was a large cow. 
Another time, what they had like oh half a dozen cars. They were news cars. You know, they were kind of, they were kind of older cars. And if I remember, like they were like AMC Gremlins, and on the side it would say KJMP, and they'd go out to stories or you know various events around town to cover them. And one of our responsibilities was to keep the cars repaired. And I remember one time we had a car up on jacks, and somehow it fell off. It fell off the jack while they were working on it. Unfortunately, nobody was under, but I did get my foot ran over because I was just happened to be standing on the side and got it ran over. So that kind of thing happened quite a bit. You know, one of the things that they had to do on a fairly regular basis is climb to the top of the radio towers. There were two of them, and I forget how high they are, but, you know, they're probably five or six hundred feet. You had to go to the top to change the light bulbs. And so that would be someone would be assigned to go do that. I never was. I wouldn't have done that. But either the Lord was with them protecting uh, the people or they were just plain lucky. I'm not sure what, because we had all sorts of instances like that. It should be noted that not all of KJMP's man versus wild MacGyver attitude ended badly. A radio and a television transmitter, what they do naturally is admit heat. They attached a bunch of duct work to the transmitters and some fans and built their own heating system. So therefore, they in the wintertime, they could keep the uh, facility warm. I got another thing that's interesting. One of their primary purposes, one of which was to provide gospel messages to people of interior Alaska, especially the native groups. And then secondly, was to get the broadcasting message into the Soviet Union, which at that time you could not have a Bible or have really any semblance of the Christian faith in the Soviet Union. So KJMP would turn its signal up. uh, It was mostly kind of in the, the nighttime hours. And they had a directional antenna, which went into Russia. Once in a great, great while, we'd get, um, you know, messages like postcards and stuff from people who had heard us in the Soviet Union. So it was kind of interesting to get that. Even though my brother didn't start at KJNP until the early 1980s, people still talked about a time in 1971 when Don Nelson's need to reach out to the Soviet Union went beyond just radio waves. An article by Dermot Cole from the Fairbanks Daily News Miner said that back in 1971... Don Nelson rented a cargo plane, and then he and the pilot flew past Alaska and towards the Soviet Union. The article says the plane might have flown about 200 feet just above the water to avoid radar detection. And then another element had to come into play to keep them from being spotted visually. What they had to do, uh, from what I was told is they had to go when the weather was rotten, which wasn't real hard to find a day like that in Alaska. They used to always have a saying there that it's just another crappy day in paradise. So they had to go through a cloud bank, and apparently they were bouncing all over the place. And then finally, they talk about how it was miraculous. All of a sudden, they dipped down out of the clouds, but they were able to open the back and push these things out. They dropped religious pamphlets, probably in Russian, out of the back of the plane, they were in little plastic bags set up to kind of float. And then after that happened, they flew up back up into the cloud bank, apparently got bounced around over the place and came back. Some of the pamphlets washed up on shore at Gamble, which is on an Alaskan island only about 50 miles from the Soviet Union. Eventually, people traced the pamphlets back to KJMP. They got into some trouble later. I bet it was like the government say, don't do that again. You know, that type of thing, but they didn't, they didn't get fined or anything. <laughs> Mark's work at KJMP one time made him aware of another incident when someone flew over Russian airspace 
and it didn't end as well. The biggest news story why I happened to be on the radio board at that time. We got an urgent message from the AP, and I remember it was just going off like crazy, and I was cutting the wire and reading the stories. It was a Korean Airlines plane that flew over Russia, and they, they killed everyone. That story of Flight 007 that was shot down in 1983 by the Russian Air Force could probably have its own podcast, but in a nutshell, it accidentally drifted over into Russian airspace en route to Seoul, and Russian fighter planes shot it down with an air-to-air missile. Again, there's debate about how much of a threat they really thought it was or wasn't, and if it was properly identified, but it was a big news story at the time. And it was, you know, a big deal, because it flew out of Anchorage and was going to Seoul, and it was like, wow, this is a really major na- uh, news story. And, you know, that was we were one of the closest places to it. How old were you then? How old were oh, you? Oh, 14 or 15. Remember how I said that this group really liked the summer solstice? Apparently in Alaska, everyone really likes the summer solstice. Uh, solstice is a big deal in Alaska. In fact, it was bigger than the 4th of July. Uh, because the 4th of July, it doesn't get dark. So therefore, you can't have fireworks. But the solstice, hey, that's a great time. You only get about maybe two hours of darkness. So what we did is we took a van. There were about uh, 10 of us that went up to the top of the highest mountain in the area and watched the sun go around. It doesn't go down. It kind of goes around in the circles. And what they did up there is uh, they had brought a guitar and I think a banjo with them or something like that. And we spent the night doing the solstice while singing Christian hymns and songs. Most of these I wasn't even aware of, but they were, you know, rather than a lot of people, they go out on solstice and drink and, uh, you know, various uh, other activities. No, no, no. It was like a church service, you know, maybe a little more pop for the solstice event that year, which was, which was interesting. And then here's the thing. I got back to the station maybe around two 30 in the morning and I rode my bike home. It was light enough to see, you know. That's the one thing about Alaska that was really interesting. I just rode my bike home there about 2.30 or so. My brother did go to some of the other services and activities that KJMP hosted, but he said they never pushed him to join or anything like that. Oh, heavens no. No, 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 no. They could care less about that kind of stuff. It was more about let's go and let's go uh, have a revival or uh, 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 some sort of uh, – social get together and have a good time, you know, sing praises to the Lord. And you got to understand too, you know, these are young kids who they made a conscious choice to go on a mission. And so they're going to, they're going to be kind of odd ducks compared to a lot of other people that were that age, you know, given that in some ways, some of these kids might've been seen as different because of their religious beliefs. I asked Mark what they thought of his religious beliefs he and I and our whole family are LDS, also known as Mormons. Oh, they thought it was kind of odd that they hadn't had an LDS person work there before. It kind of depended on where they were from. Some of the people that had like, because some of the missionaries did come from the West Coast too, and they usually knew people that were Mormons and stuff, and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, they're good people, you know. But people like uh, from the Midwest and stuff, they really didn't know Mormons, and basically a lot of times they were taught we were not Christian, and, you know, they liked me, but, the, you know, that they did, most of them probably weren't too fond of my religion. I just think it's funny that people living out in the woods with grass on their roofs are like, oh, the Mormons are weird. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, because of, I think, the polygamy background, they always would say, oh, you're from that liberal church. They would think that Mormons oh. were pretty liberal. I didn't know that the people who don't drink or smoke or fool around or do drugs or whatever can be considered liberal, but 
The thing is, though, despite some of the theological differences, Mark wasn't that different from them. They're just good kids, good-hearted kids. Most of their good times were associated with church and church activities, which involved singing and dancing and that kind of, well, not dancing so much, but singing. But it wasn't drinking or smoking or anything. Maybe that's why my parents weren't that worried about their son hanging out with them in the woods. They lived what they preached. Before Mark finished high school, he left KGMP and went to work for the CBS radio affiliate in town. A few years later, Mark left the cold of Alaska for Louisiana and Mississippi to serve as a missionary for our church. It was a good start to a, a radio career, I guess. It was an interesting place in that regard. I wanted to thank my brother, Mark, for being on this episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day. He and I are building kind of a travel YouTube channel in which you can learn about the different highlights of different towns and areas. It's linked in the description. We're asking you to please check it out and please share it with someone. If you'd like to learn more about our family living in Bob Ross's house, that story really is true. It's actually the very first episode ever of the show called When Your Landlord Becomes an American Legend. And you can check it out completely for free on the show's page. This show plays on KHOL Jackson in Jackson, Wyoming every Thursday at 3.30 p.m. So please check it out. And if you'd like to hear even more of the show, please do a search for That Doesn't Happen Every Day. Every day is two words in this case, and you can listen to every episode for free. I want to wish everybody a great Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. I hope that you have a great time and are safe. Quick note here, this show was recorded well before Christmas and was already loaded onto the server to release on Christmas morning. So no one had to work or do anything on Christmas for you to be able to hear this show. Please share the show with a friend. I hope to have a new episode to you in about two weeks. Mm-hmm.